Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire is giving away to all the lucky listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free Firestone flashlight. If you're interested in getting one of those, go to marketing at axontire.com. Give them your details, tell them Moving Iron Podcast sent you, and uh, you will get one in the mail. So just send that to marketingandaxontire.com to get all your flashlight needs taken care of. And I I heard it's been really good about looking down your throat. It it is. Yeah, it's really good. It's like the Swiss Army knife of flashlights. It's multiple (laughs) uses. So it's going to be good. I'm I'm looking forward to getting mine. Yeah. All right. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trekking needs. Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And finally, no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial from Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what happened in the marketplace. Um, Sean, it's been it's been a kind of a, uh, an odd odd start to this week, um, but it's really kind of fallen in line to what you talked about. Right? You talked about um, back in March. Um, February, March, that yeah, we're going to have this long, prolonged, wet, cool, um, just horrible start to playing season, and then all of a sudden it's just going to snap and it's going to turn, and we're going to see this a warmer, more consistent, wet kind of rain situation, and and that's what we're seeing now. And the market is is stepping back a little bit, going like, hmm, is this. Uh, is this situation really as, as bad and prolonged as we think? And there, don't get me wrong, there's still issues with ending stocks and those kind of things, but the it's almost like the planning progress reports have definitely turned, turned the corner, right? Um, you still have the northern plains like you talked about. There's still a big issue up there, but as you step back and look at it now, you you, you the market's going like, oh, I don't know. I mean, there's it, things aren't are as bad as what we thought they're going to be, and, and, the, and you're starting to see some of that spill over into – 
consistent selling of, of crop and, and the prices are coming down, those kind of things. So I guess talk about that a little bit, Sean, and, and what you see happening there. I think the market, uh, re remember how last year we had, uh, you know, half the grain belt, very, very hot, yep. three to four degrees above normal, very, very dry. And, you know, certain places like the Northern Plains and Canadian Prairies, worst drought in a hundred years. And out, outside of a few areas, yields actually turned out quite good, like much, much better than people uh, expected. Um, some parts of South Dakota that thought they were going to have, you know, a third of a crop or whatever, you know, they, they had really good yields. So if, if we're starting off this season with more subsoil moisture and less heat, and if our forecast is correct that we're going to have a, you know, a, a, a much cooler summer than the last couple of years with, more regular rainfall than we had the last couple of years, then what does that mean for yields? It means we should have some really good yields. Yeah. Um, and remember, in the east, they actually had too much rain last year, and in the, in the, that caused some disease problems and all. Um, and they're actually you know, likely to kind of get a little less rain than last year, which is actually a good thing for them. So, so when you start thinking about there's always something to worry about. There's always a place that's going to miss the rain. There's always sure. a place that's going to get too much rain. But as a, in average, when you start thinking about this, and if we're right about a cool, wet finish, and what that could mean for soybeans, I mean, we, you know, you know, it just looks like the prospects for this year's crops and yields look really, really good, despite um, the late planting and despite the fact that maybe some farmers are going to skimp on some some fertilizer here and there. You know, good weather could overcome some of that. And I think the market's looking at these high, you know, it's not like we're talking about $4 corn now. We're talking about, you know, $7, $8 corn, right. $15, $16 plus soybeans. You know, pretty high prices, Casey. I mean, they a lot, a lot of bullish news. And then you start hearing about, you know, a lot of different independent sources um, over in Europe uh, that are suggesting that uh, even though they all hate each other, they're, they're finding a pathway forward that maybe they can let some of this grain out of Ukraine and, and at least agree on, the, on, on doing that. And you know, whether that's true or not, or I mean, but there's a lot of talk, talk all of a sudden that there might be something going on there. And you know, of course, you know, um, if only a portion of that wheat and corn from Ukraine came onto the market, that's more than the market was expecting. And so, right. uh, and then you're looking at um, harvest pressure coming up here for winter wheat in the U S and then, Everything suggests to us uh, that the Russians have had a great finish to the crop. It could be as high as 90 million metric tons. And, um, you know, they appear to be willing sellers. Uh, so, I don't know, it just seems like right now the market is looking, trying to find a new pound of flesh to get the bulls excited. And, and I think it's going to have to wait for some kind of a growing season weather scare, you know, like we typically get later in the season to get them going again. But for now, you know, unless something comes out that we're not aware of, it just looks to me like, you know, we've rolled over and, um, and we're now looking at some kind of a protracted correction into June before we might fire up some worry over, you know, too hot, too dry somewhere in, in the country, you know. Let's jump up and talk about cotton a little bit. Cotton price still, you know, record high, you know, we're looking at a, at a dollar forty-four pound right now. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of just riding that that economic wave, but it's still just there's it's again supply and demand issue, just like about every other crop here in in the uh, on the world stage. So cotton prices, you look at those and what's going on in in the south. I mean, with they're they're ahead of schedule getting stuff planted. 
they're they're really moving along. They've had some really good opportunities to, to get stuff planted with some good conditions. I guess, Sean, as you look at cotton, I mean, what's what's going to slow that bull down? The big, big story is West Texas finally got some credible rainfall for the, and it just it came in a nick of time that those dryland acres that you know can be a zero in certain mm-hmm. years. You know, I mean, it may still be a zero. I'm not, but they got enough rain uh, that those acres are now. You know, there's a potential for something good. Um, like, it, it had they not gotten the rains and we got into mid June with nothing, it was a zero. So they got very timely, important rainfall in West Texas that now puts those three or four million acres, you know, back into possibly producing some, some, some cotton. And now, obviously, the weather stuff to monitor weather the rest of the way. But at least I think took some of the punch bowl away from the bulls, uh, for now. Um, and, and took them uh, away from, you know, pressing and pressing and pressing. And so December corn is kind of backed off here a little bit. Um, but don't forget, you know, they're not the, we're not the only ones that grow cotton. Uh, in uh, Northwest India and Gujarat grows a lot of cotton. And there's a lot of um, reasons to believe uh, that the um, Indian monsoon might get off to a pretty slow start here in June, which – that's not terminal, but especially in the northwest part of India, you know, we think that's going to be a prom spot for most of the season, quite frankly, and that's where they grow most of the cotton. So, so good weather in the U.S. is sort of being offset by some worries over northwest India, um, and so that keeps the bears from getting too emboldened uh, until they see more about what's going on there. Because remember, uh, India really, really downgraded uh, their ending stocks because they overinflated production the last couple of years. And, um, and of course, you know, uh, India just seems like they want to start banning everything. They banned wheat and they just, uh, a couple of days ago, they banned sugar exports, mm-hmm. uh, beyond a certain point. And everyone's worried about, well, if this cotton crop doesn't look so good here in June, they're going to ban cotton exports next. You know, that's, that seems to be what they're all about now is just putting the, putting a limitation on how much they're willing to sell to the rest of the world, and saying at that point we're we're not we're not selling anymore, and probably rice is next. I think we talked about mm-hmm. probably rice is next coming up. So, so, so I think we went from a raging bull to a to a probably a, a volatile sideways trade for now. While good weather in the U.S. offsets fears over Northwest India's Gujarat area. So. Gotcha. Okay, so you brought up rice. That was the next question I was going to talk to you about. So I'm looking at a rice chart here on. Uh, businessinsider.com and it's just over the last you know well the last month for sure if not the last 60 days I mean it's just been a it's just been a, a just like a very much a, a, just a, a slow rise up so as you're looking at what's going on there Sean and you stack that up against wheat like you've talked about you know um, there, there's going to be something that snaps there and if India does come through and say, "Hey, you know what? We're 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 pumping our brakes on our rice too." That's going to cause a, a. Could you could could you see rice being a catalyst that that spills over into other commodities and could be somewhat of that that bowl that we're that we're talking about now to feed some of that that fire again? Well, they've sold they sold record amount of rice exports this year mm-hmm. up to this point, similar to what they had been doing with wheat. And if we get off to a very slow monsoon start, especially that northern, northwestern area where they grow a lot of the core rice, um, I think they're just going to say, you know what, we're, gonna, we're just going to just 
you know, we're just going to just put a pause button on right now. Yep. So, so, uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if later on, you know, mid late June, we, we, we see that. And, and when we look at our natural climate cycle algorithm, uh, you know, with, with a La Nina that's starting to weaken, but, you know, and then, and then, you know, moving towards El Nino, but, you know, kind of that, that transition summer we've talked about, uh, we've laid over a lot of different of these different, you know, cycles that we follow, PDO, AMO, right. and all these different things, um, QBO. And um, we think our best opportunity, because kind of what happens in the transition year is La Nina hangs on and gives you one final brief period of hot, dry weather later on in June, July, and then it gives way to a more cooler weather pattern, which is, is, is the lead up to El Nino coming. Okay. Right. Yep. So, so I think that the risk for, you know, everyone's asking me when would, when's the likelihood that the U S is going to have some kind of a weather scare to trade. Right. I don't, it doesn't have to be long, but some kind of a weather trade. I think that, you know, end of June into the first two weeks of July, our work says it could, that's where we could have some brief worry too hot, too dry, too long, not a crop problem, not going to be an extended situation, just a scare. And then the cool wet weather comes in the back half of July, August, and everything hammers down into the harvest low. So, so if you think this through, we could have a weather scare in the U.S. We could have, you know, this slow monsoon development where the 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 Indian the Indian uh, government decides that maybe we're going to halt rice exports for a little while, and and then we we've been talking about this um, potential for so a European drought, especially in France and areas right. where you know that could come to a head in mid. So that that everything's pointing towards late June first part of July is some kind of a, you know, culminating weather scare potential um, trade that you typically get. You get always get something every year before the market then rolls over. It, it usually means a lower high if it's just a weather scare, you know, not an actual crop problem. But if I, let's say you're a producer and, and, you, and you miss selling everything or, you know, you're saying is well, where might there be another opportunity to sell? I might be looking for late June first part of July as your last window to get something done, you know, before you're going to, you're going to have to sell the harvest lows. Right. Okay. Right on. All right. One thing that we don't have money. We've talked about maybe two or three times on here, but just kind of a a measure of the economy, I guess is a good way to, to put what that is. But when you look at something like lumber, all right. So here we have, we have interest rates are climbing up. Um, housing starts and those kind of things are all going to be affected by that, although they haven't been really affected by it yet. Um, and as you're looking at what's going on with lumber, I mean, lumber has had a, a pretty big slide over the last, you know, three months. You know, we had a high of about 1400 bucks a linear foot, and now you're down at, at what is it now, six fifty one ninety right now. So that's a pretty big slide uh, from what we saw. We saw something similar to that coming out of COVID and lockdowns and those kind of things where we saw, you know, the $1,400 range for lumber um, and it kind of trickled back down and then we had to, everyone getting back out and demand shot back up and so on and so forth. Now we're back to where we are now. So Sean, looking at lumber, am I going to keep paying $8 a two by four at Home Depot for, for our lumber here? Remember lumber was actually as high as six, over 1600 right. uh, a couple of years ago. And now we're under, you know, in the, in the 600. So we've, we've had a kind of a crash, bubble top crash, we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, if obviously some of that is a function of the lumber mills, you know, obviously increasing supply. Sure. Um, but, but obviously it's a d- demand. Remember, 
uh, a buyer, a builder of a home doesn't say, okay, we're going to build this home. Let's go buy the lumber today. I mean, they, for, they, they forecast this, right? They, they have their schedule six months, nine months, 12 months ahead of what they're going to do. And they pre-buy the lumber in advance of these projects. So they know they have it. They have the price locked in. Um, at least that's what, the, that's what you're supposed to do if you're doing a good job of managing your costs against your, against your, your inventory. Um, so, so even though the numbers on real estate are showing only you know, you know, some modest declines right now, the, 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 the lower price for lumber is telling you that the future demand for lumber, the lumber looking out 12 months from now, they're not buying lumber. The demand's really, really weak, meaning that the expectation is that when we look at the, when we're sitting here today, uh, uh, six months, nine months, 12 months from now and having this discussion, we'll see housing starts way down, mortgage, mortgage applications way down, permits way down, prices rolling over. May, you know, maybe they're down 10, 20% in many areas. You know, that's the kind of thing that we're going to likely be seeing. And the lumber is always a forward-looking price. It's telling you what the demand's going to be, not what it is right now. And so that's why people always look at copper prices and lumber prices as two very good leading indicators for the future possibility of the economy. And of course, the, the lumber price has dropped from $5 into low fours over the last three or four months. So both markets are saying economic activity six to months from now is going to be considerably weaker than it's than it is right now. And so I think, you know, that, that that's, you know, that, that's a, there's a lot of other ways of looking at the economy. There's a lot of other ways you can try to discern what's going on, but those are two benchmark ways that have, that have uh, stood the test of time for decade upon decade upon decade about giving you a pretty good outlook for what the economy is going to be doing. And, you know, and it makes sense. We know what's going on with inflation. We know what's going on with people's incomes and disposal and buying power with And, um, and we know what interest rates are doing. And it just makes sense that there's going to be, you know, a pullback from all of this. How, how strong a pullback, how long will it last? You know, obviously we just have to, we just have to see how everything plays out and, and, um, and take our cues from that. Yep. All right. Another thing here that we've talked about quite a bit, especially the rise where we're starting to see different biofuels and how they play into that. And also just the, the overall shortages of vegetable oil coming out uh, around the world, especially with coming on with uh, sunflower oil and those kind of things. Uh, soy, soybean oil um, had a pretty good run up in April. Um, we saw that shot up there um, and it's kind of trickled back down, but it's still at a, at a, at a level that's uh, showing some some movement there. And, and I guess, Sean, as you look at that that world oil, vegetable oil supply and what's out there now, how, how do you see that playing in, especially with, with this continued talk of renewable fuels when it comes especially like, you know, airplanes and those kind of things, airplane fuel? If, I'll just speak on the U.S. government specifically, because, I mean, I'm not that familiar with Malaysia. And I know there's other policies elsewhere right. that are also, you know, pushing this renewable diesel thing, uh, but, but I'm not as educated. But, for, you know, clearly, so long as the U.S. government is behind pushing renewable diesel from vegetable oil and, and most specifically, mostly from soybean oil, you know, the soybean oil price needs to stay at a level that uh, allows the crushers to make money so they can crush the beans, make the oil that's going to make the renewable diesel. Um, if you look at 
the numbers that we could be looking at a couple of years from now in terms of how much renewable diesel will be needed and how much bean oil will, supplies will be needed to satisfy the demand for renewable diesel, you know, they're very, they're very, very high, Casey. I mean, we just, I mean, we, we need to, you know, we, we, we actually probably need to be planting 5 million more soybean acres over the next couple of years than we are today in order to satisfy the demand mm-hmm. if, if the government stays behind it. Now, of course, if, if crude oil drops down to 30, we're in trouble, right? right. Um, yep. Just like, just like, just like uh, you know, ethanol and corn. I mean, obviously, it, you know, you, you, you kind of need crude oil to probably maintain something like $60 or above to make it economically sensible to do it. Um, yep. I, I'm not here to say it is or it isn't, but I mean, obviously, that, you know, that's an important feature. But, um, but that's, you know, that's really, in a nutshell, what the soybean oil price is all about. Now, when overseas, you know, palm oil is a tree crop. For those who don't know, it's a, it's a tree crop. It's kind of like a coffee crop or orange crop or a cocoa crop. You know, it's a tree. And so, you know, they've had a, they, 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 you know, they had a little bit of a problem with too much rainfall here the last uh, year that kind of clipped uh, some of the uh, production, uh, you know, from what they were expecting, although, uh, the prospects for production look better. We talked about how they had put a temporary ban on palm oil exports, but they only had 30 days of storage. And of course, magically, I think it was a week ago, they said, yeah, 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 we're back to exporting again, you know, because they have to, right? So I, I kind of think we're at a plateau, meaning I, I don't see necessarily we have to have an imminent crash. At the same time, you know, I'm not sure that the that the bean oil price, you know, necessarily needs to be much higher. I think it's at the price that it will get the job done um, so long as the government keeps supporting it. So I kind of just feel that, you know, if you're someone looking at, you know, vegetable oil prices overall, you know, we're probably near a high of some sort um, that, and, and, and maybe some kind of an extended topping pattern until the world catches up and finds a way to feed this need Obviously, a huge soybean crop in the U.S. Would, 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 would help. And we also talked about this before, Casey, about you know, what happens if you keep crushing soybeans for oil, but the feed demand isn't there to, for, the, for the meal. What, the meal price keeps falling. But while well, the meal price keeps falling, you know, at some point, the, crushers, the crush margin is going to lose its profitability. So it's going to be very interesting to see how far can we take bean meal down and bean meal before you ruin the economics of crushing oil, or for that matter, for using uh, bean oil in the production of renewable diesel. So my general view is uh, I don't see a lot of upside here in, in the short run, and I actually don't see a whole lot of downside here in the short run, other than, you know, if soybean prices really get hit, there would be some general drag down in bean oil, but probably not substantial. Yep. Okay. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there that goes over our weather algorithm, our capital flows algorithm, and other tools to see if we can be of value to your listeners. Right on. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related and for all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee. That'll be September 6th, 7th, and 8th at the Hilton downtown. 
If you're interested in attending that, go to the upper right-hand corner, click the Moving Iron Summit link, and all the information is there. If you need more information about that, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, and uh, I'll be sure to get that over to you. Sean will be there. He'll give a nice little talk about what's going on in the marketplace, and uh, so it'll be interesting times. So, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks, Casey. Great to be here. See you next week. Yes, sir. One last thing I'll throw out there. I've got a friend of mine, Alex Rachenko. I've talked about him on here where he was the uh, gentleman that I was friends with that was stuck over in, in Ukraine when the war first stopped, started off, and he has uh, decided he's going to go back and, and hand out some humanitarian aid. So he has a GoFundMe page, uh, so check that out. Uh, his GoFundMe page is Help Alex Transport Aid from Poland to Ukraine. Go to Google, look that up on uh, on the GoFundMe site. I'll have links and stuff out here, but help support that. Um, he's he's rolling the dice here, and he's going to go out and, and try to help his fellow countrymen. So if you're interested in helping him do that, um, he greatly appreciate that. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving higher in the 21st century.